This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to the Church Boys Freefall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell and Chris Field here for the Church Boys. And we have Bruce Ashford on the phone. He's the co-author of One Nation Under God, A Christian Hope for American Politics. And he's also the provost and professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. How are you doing today, Bruce? Hey, man. Doing great, Billy. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Bruce. See, he doesn't even want to say hi. No, he doesn't want to say hi to me. That's fine. I understand. No, it's okay. Sorry, Chris. No, it's okay. It's okay, Bruce. I'm used to the treatment. It happens a lot to me. It's fine. It always happens to Chris. I'm just here to make us. I'm just here to make us happen again. I'm just here to make us. Please, every time we have you on, make sure you do not say anything to him at all. Don't even respond to questions from Chris. That's what we tell every guest. Um, so we, we wanted to talk with you today because I think this book is coming obviously at a fascinating time. And you and I were just talking before the interview about how crazy things are political. I mean, it's a really interesting political time and, and entertaining time. And I think depending on where people stand on the spectrum, a troubling time or an exciting time. Um, tell me a little bit about one nation under God. Now you co-authored this book and I don't want to butcher his name, but I'm going to, I'm going to attempt the name and Chris knows I'm the worst name butcher in the world. Chris Papalardo. You nailed it, Billy. Did what? I? That okay. never Billy happens. Nailed it. That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> Never happens. I can't even get my own name right. But t- tell me a little bit about about the book, what it was that led you guys to want to to want to tackle the, this topic. Yeah. So, you know, the uh, you're right about the elections. It's just been more fun than a, a barrel of drunk monkeys. It has been crazy. And I think that's just a reflection of the shifting ground beneath us politically and culturally here in the States. And so, you know, Chris and I were just sort of looking at the lay of the land and uh, realizing, you know, that for the first time in history, evangelicals' views, especially on morality, are, are being viewed as not only morally inferior, but really morally bad and reprehensible. And there are a number of other changes that are happening, and Christians are just, you know, responding in, in all sorts of manners, unhelpful manners even. You've got some Christians who are withdrawing from the public square. You've got others who seem to think that politics is a messiah, and they kind of launch into it with messianic fervor. And, you know, your hopes are always going to be dashed if you view, you know, <clears throat> any politician as a messiah or a savior, I think, as we've seen the last, you know, eight years. <laughs> and then you see a lot of anger, and there's nothing wrong per se with anger, you know, but right. in your anger you don't want to sin, you don't want to be blinded by your anger. So we just wanted to write a book that helped coach Christians as to why they should be involved in politics and how they should be involved. So what's the answer to the Messiah issue? Uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. So here's what happens. It, while you have some Christians withdrawing from the public square, the others who respond differently and view it messianically, they throw all of their fervor and emotional energy into it as if short-term political activism was the key to making the world the way it ought to be. And yet short-term political activism never accomplishes as much as somebody would expect and never accomplishes it in an enduring manner. And so then once a person's hopes are crashed, you know, they're crushed, and then they end up withdrawing. And so it's just this sort of odd and unhealthy cycle. Right. That's really interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me, I and I would say this is probably since the last summer when the Planned Parenthood videos started coming out, is that we have these issues. And I think it's really 
interesting and funny um, in a sad sort of way when I say funny that you have an issue like abortion. There's a court case that happens in 1973. The Supreme Court weighs in. You think, okay, the issue is apparently settled then, but it's clearly not because it's still being fought about. Those videos come out and it reinvigorates this entire debate. And now you have this bizarre situation down in Texas with the indictment and all that with the video makers. And we don't have to go into all that, but I think the issue of abortion is probably one of the most difficult ones um, for people to have conversations, for Christians especially, to engage in a conversation that doesn't get too heated because people on both sides have such strong viewpoints. Um, What what are some of your thoughts on on that debate, and how did you guys tackle it in the book? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think the abortion issue is— an excellent example and a great case study in how Christians can represent the Lord Christ in public, how they can bring their Christian faith um, into their representation of the topic and do it with grace and joy rather than with anger and fear. Um, historically, you know, since 1973, I think it is one of the major success stories for evangelicals that we have managed to be pro-life and fairly consistently pro-life, and usually not in an ugly uh, way. Um, There has been a lot of, I think, compassionate conservatism, to use uh, W's term. There's been a lot of convictional kindness, and we've made some headway, it looks like. If you look at the polls, I mean, it looks like we're moving the ball forward on the field. Um, But when you walk into the public square and you talk about abortion, one of the things you're going to want to ask is, what sort of disposition and demeanor should I have? It's that way with any public policy issue, but especially with abortion, because there's about a, you know, maybe a 30 or 40 percent chance that the person that you're talking to has had an abortion Mm. or directly related to somebody else who has. And and um, and so you want your your demeanor and your disposition to be a Christian disposition and demeanor. Then you want the content of what you say to represent the Lord well. And there's a couple of approaches you can take, one that we can call the thick approach and one that you can call the thin approach. So under a thick approach, uh, when you're addressing abortion, whether you're a politician, you know, speaking before Congress, or you are a, p- a political pundit speaking on Fox News, or you're a citizen speaking in a coffee shop, one of the things you can do is you can allow your speech to, be, to have the thick particularity of Christianity about it. In other words, you can give your Christian reasons that you are against abortion. You can talk about every human being created in the image and the likeness of God, and that's a good thing to do. But you can also give your argument in a a thin manner, and thin means that you don't bring the thick particularity of your Christianity into your argument. And I think sometimes, and in certain situations, you can give reasoning against abortion that doesn't per se bring, um, you know, your thick Christian beliefs um, into play. For right. example, um, you can show how abortion not only kills a baby, but you can show how it um, hurts a woman, how it dehumanizes and hurts men, many of whom have babies aborted against their will. Right. You can show how it tears apart families, hurts democratic government, it sure. undermines America's claim to be a law-governed democracy, um, it, uh, it coarsens our public life, it, it, it sort of hardens our consciences, because we know that if we can kill the most helpless citizens of the United States, babies in the womb, right. in other words, if you can take what should be the safest place in the world, a mother's womb, and turn it into the most dangerous, it coarsens, it hurts the conscience. Mm-hmm. And so, so you've got your de- demeanor, and then you've got your argument strategy, and all of those should be governed by... Um, 
uh, Christian wisdom. Right. Huh. Interesting. So l- let me ask. Let me ask this, and and Billy's going to get on my case, and I should. We should point out, I suppose, you have a history with Billy, and it isn't necessarily a pretty one. Uh, <clears throat> Billy uh, actually attends your school, and. Um, <laughs> And yeah. which I don't know, I don't know that it speaks well of you, but uh, we should we should point that out before we go before we go too much further. Billy's <laughs> but, been a he's been a he's been a um, exemplary student. Secret? See, now, See? now he's just now he's just lying. No, he's just no, he's but, just getting on the phone, just saying things. <laughs> listen, no, it's I've had a great and it's and really I've had a wonderful experience um, so far and I had to take a semester actually it's been this is the second semester as I've worked on this book that I finally finished which I'm excited about but I have had an amazing time there and in fact it's so funny how things happen and and how God God does things because that book so much of being able to understand it came from just some of the classes and so no I've I've had I've had a great time and I have not been a bad student Chris you're incorrect All right. The, right, so nobody, right, Bruce. No, I've been great. Right, nobody believes him. So, let me ask you this. <laughs> let me ask you this, Bruce. And this is a, a and I want to get into more of the book as well. But it was just it was hitting me now. And if I don't ask it now, I'll forget later. Regardless of people's, and, and Billy and I have talked about this some, at least off air. I don't know about it on or not. Uh, regardless of politics, people's thoughts on Barack Obama or uh, 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 Donald Trump. Okay. Does that that has said to me as I've watched the people who who I say might think are making excuses for uh, Donald Trump's rhetoric or his politics in light of the criticisms that they offered to Barack Obama, right? And the and the and everybody we remember in the 2008 campaign, people were talking about what a slick talker Barack Obama is, regardless of whether you liked his politics or not, right? Does it does it <laughs> does it give you the sense of fear, not fear, but uh, because we can't live with a sense of fear, with a life of fear, but does it give you a, a, a I don't know, maybe fear is the right word, of, of, of how our how our population, how people can get sucked into the idea of an antichrist or the, the antichrist that may be coming? I, and, and again, I don't think either of those two men are antichrist, don't get me wrong, but how quickly and easily we're sucked in in our politics, and it's not just Barack Obama and Donald Trump, there are other people, you talk about the messianic okay. Under, you know, assuming a person's a messiah, I mean, we're so easily sucked in by that. Do you have, yeah, does that concern fine. come it, up it, for you? It, it even goes, I think, even further back. You had people calling W sure. Antichrist. I mean, I remember at the gym uh, talking with a guy working out of the gym who, who used the word Antichrist about W. And then you had the election of Barack Obama, many people viewing him as a savior. Yeah. And often the people who viewed him as a savior had in their mind someone like W as Antichrist. Yeah. And now you have the opposite thing happening with folks throwing their uh, full weight behind Trump because they view Obama as Antichrist. So there's a couple things that I would say to this. I think we need to be really careful demonizing other human beings. Sure. For a Christian, the only person who we're truly and fully against is a spirit, an evil spirit. It's Satan himself. Right. So I am not fully and completely at war with any human being, and there's no human being who is fully and completely evil. So we don't want to take a man with whom we disagree, and I disagree with nearly everything that Obama has done in office. Um, Not all of it, nearly everything. But I don't want to make a demon out of him. The second thing that I would say is I think, you know, we get blinded by our anger and even inebriated by it, and I use the term beer goggles uh, pretty often (laughs) about evangelicals right now, who are inebriated by their anger at uh, many of Barack Obama's policies, yeah. and they are 
they see that Donald, the Donald is also angry or pretending to be angry. And so immediately they think, hey, I'll vote for this guy. But I, I want to encourage them to take their beer goggles off, not to vote out of a sort of blind anger and really ask the question, which man can step into this office with wisdom and dignity and strength and the appropriate amount of humility and really lead our nation during a very troubled yeah. troubled time yeah I, and i'm i'm frankly i'm more concerned i'm i'm more concerned about the how easily people are sucked in than i am the fact that people might call somebody the antichrist i mean that's that's yeah. disprovable right but the the fact that people are so easily sucked in you're just going oh my goodness i mean we are ripe for the picking when it comes down to it yeah, you're right. And I think Donald Trump's debate strategy shows you that he knows this. Yeah. He doesn't, he refuses to focus on rational argumentation in a debate. He appeals <laughs> to the emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we are easily sucked in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, and one of the criticisms that a lot of conservatives have traditionally had of liberals, whether this is true or not, is that they appeal to emotion quite a bit um, in, in how they get things. And there's nothing wrong with appealing to emotion, but I think you know that, that there's a certain notion that a scale tips at some point and logic and emotion should be balanced and that sometimes liberals tend to go a little more with emotion. It is interesting when you see candidates, because they do that on the other side too, and, and Trump may be an example of that, using emotion as a way to appeal to people. Um, and I think... A lot of what has happened is we've started focusing on other sort of issues that are, might be important, you know, how, how we treat Muslims and, and Islam and all that. Okay, those are important issues. But we get into the, like a debate about what Donald Trump said instead of a debate about the grander sort of broader issue, which I think um, has been a little bit problematic at certain points during this uh, election season. But le let me ask you this question. Do you believe that the Bible explicitly calls Christians – to political action to be involved? Absolutely. The quickest route to, to showing that it does, I'll give you a very quick route, a 15-second route to it, and then a two-minute route. Um, the, the quickest route is Romans 13, where Paul tells us to submit to the governing authorities. And in the United States, in a democratic republic, with our Constitution, submitting to the Constitution and to the governing authorities means that we have to, at the very, at a, at a minimum, we have to vote. Sure. But more than that, we have to be actively involved in the political life of our nation because in a democratic republic, political action is a way of loving your neighbor. Hmm. We're supposed to be asking, what is best for my country and best for my neighbor, and I'm going to push for that to happen in the political realm. Another way of going at it is to, to take a look at the Bible's uh, sort of grand narrative, this big story that it tells that we could call the true story of the whole world. We could divide it into four acts, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. At the time of creation, God created a world that was a cultural world. He told humanity to till the soil and name the animals and to do these sort of cultural things, to take the world that God made and make something out of it. Well, when you build a society and culture, you're going to need to have government or politics of some sort. And there would have been government even if there had never been sin. Even if we didn't need cops and, and, uh, and the military, we would have had to have a government to tell us, to help us decide which side of the road we're going to drive on, you know, and where we're going to put the stop signs and right. so forth. Right. After the fall, everything changed because when sin entered the world and evil entered the world, we have crimes that need to be stopped. And that, in other words, the government needs to wield the sword. And Scripture speaks uh, plenty of times about the need to have a government to wield the sword. And so then when Christ returns and restores 
this heavens and earth and brings a new heavens and earth, he will institute a government where he will rule directly as king. And so this whole story, at every point along the way, affirms government. It doesn't affirm it in its twisted and fallen forms, but it affirms government as something good, and ultimately that Christ will be the one who governs um, in the end on in the new heavens and earth. So that's two different ways to approach uh, the question. All right. So very good. Let me let me let me follow up on that because we have you on for multitude of reasons, and one is that you're way smarter than I am, and probably smarter than Billy. Um, <laughs> Definitely, but definitely I, smart. I, I know, I know in my my gut the answer to this question, but I don't, I don't know that I know how to uh, to state it clearly. Right, the answer to this question, and the question is, how, how do we respond to folks who might say, you know, the Bible says that God, uh, nobody's in charge, nobody's in power that God didn't put there. What does my vote matter? Why does it matter if I'm involved? Why does it matter if I'm a part of the democracy or or, or whatever? I mean, other th- I mean, you made the moral case for being involved, but then how do you how do you there? It seems to be juxt there seems to be a juxtaposition, right? There, as far as yeah. be involved, but yet God puts somebody in charge. What's the what is the what's the answer to that? I I think I know in my gut. I just can't put it into words. That's a great point. That's a great point because you have a passage. You know, I've just told you that I think Romans 13 says for us to be involved in politics, but that same passage and other passages either say explicitly or they imply that God's the one who put the ruler in place in the first place. Right. So, you know, one question, to, one answer to that is, as with, the Bible talks about God's hand being sovereign over pretty much every event in history. Yeah. Um, he doesn't cause evil events, but he uh, allows them. You know, anything that happens on earth in one way or another is allowed by him. But even though his hand is over history, we are always called to act, always called to act. And so if the governing authorities are doing something that flouts our conscience or that uh, um, goes against God, then we side with God and not with the government. I'll give you a great example, the early church. When the early church confessed that Jesus is Lord, what they were actually saying is Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And the early church refused to worship Caesar. They refused to call him a god. They refused to pray to him. And so when we say Jesus is Lord, that is a profoundly political statement. And for the early church, it was going directly against uh, the government, the governing authorities that God had appointed. Hmm. And so they protested, and they protested uh, nonviolently, but they protested and refused to worship uh, Caesar. Then the second way of answering that is to go right back to Romans 13. If we are to submit to the governing authorities in a democratic republic, submitting to the authorities means voting and means speaking our minds. So, but and that's the beauty of being in a democratic republic. Right. So let's. So so then let me. And this is. Let me give you an example that that I'm. It's not uncommon to hear. So then. Barack Obama was supposed to be president. I mean, that's what somebody who who's unfamiliar with our faith but knows has heard our rhetoric. Their their response is so. Then Barack Obama was supposed to be president. What was the point of you voting or campaigning for someone else? Yeah, you know. So you're asking some really deep questions right now. It's not, it's not on purpose. That, it was I totally stumbled no, into it. <laughs> yes, yeah, <so> the, <laughs> the deep question underlying your question is one that Christians have disagreed on for two thousand years. And I will not be able to solve it on this phone call. Okay. Um, but I will say this: that in one way or another, God is in control of history. He doesn't do anything evil. We can never ascribe evil to Him. 
And even if we were to take a political candidate who on the whole is bad for our country, I don't think Barack Obama is an evil man. I differ from people who demonize him. Right. Um, I think he's got a, a very unhelpful and very unhealthy view of government, and I don't like his style of gov- governance at all either. And so I'm against m- much of what he has done. Sure. Wait, can we all just level here that he, but can we just level here that Barack Obama is probably the false prophet? I mean, not, maybe not the Antichrist, but I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. We have to talk about the false prophet, though, which, I mean, if we're going to be honest, that's, look, that may be who, no, he's not. He's not. I'm totally joking. But I just think that that whole discussion take us out of out of American politics for a moment and back sure. to the biblical world. Sure. God allowed Cyrus, the the, the uh, king of Babylon, to come to power right. uh, because he wanted to use Cyrus for his own purposes to teach his people a lesson. Yeah. And so God can work in and through rulers who are imperfect. And in a fallen world, all rulers are imperfect. Right. Right. Some are more imperfect than others. And I, I like, you know, and I often remind Mike, Christian friends, I said, listen, when Paul talks about, you know, submitting to authorities and, you know, and the, the people who are in authority being there, he was writing that while Nero was emperor. So there's, there's something yeah, to be said. And he for was that, not too. a nice guy. He, no. he would have gotten 86 from Caligula's mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, well, yeah, it is, it is a, a fascinating and interesting question. And I think it's one obvious that that can't be solved on this show or anywhere else because nobody's been able to solve it and come to a consensus on it. But I think the way you, you answered it is, is interesting. And especially if not, especially not if you and I are involved, Billy, that will never be answered. <laughs> Nothing will ever be answered. No, no, no. <laughs> well, Listen, um, we I actually want to have you back again for sure because our, our time is coming to a close here only because we have a short window. Um, when go Billy, ahead, Chris, Chris when, is raising his finger. He wants to say when, something. Go when, ahead. When, Billy, when Billy's book comes out, uh, uh, Bruce, we'll have to have it back on so you can critique it uh, on the air, and we will oh, mute and we'll mute wait. and we'll mute Billy's mic <laughs> so you can say whatever you want about it. I can't. Well, That's you know, we're gonna we are gonna have to talk more about that about that book off offline too. So, because I'm, I'm hey guys, thank you for having me Thanks, on the show. Bruce, we appreciate it. No problem. We'll make All sure right. we link out to the book so people get a chance right. to to check it out as well. Church Boy.